Welcome to this week's episode of Stand Out, growing in the organizing and productivity profession brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Every episode, we will learn from NAPO members and subject matter experts as they share their successes, challenges, best practices, proven strategies, industry developments, and more. And now, here's your host, Claire Kumar, NAPO member since 2010. Hi, everyone. I'm Productivity Catalyst Claire Kumar and your host for this episode of Standout. I'm thrilled to be your host. This is the podcast for the organizing and productivity industry. And for those who want to be part or learn about this industry, and this podcast is all about helping you better your business. And oftentimes that's all about bettering yourself. Today, I'm really interested to dig into a discussion you've probably heard me actually mention before that I'm highly sensitive, and I've talked a little bit about neurodiversity before. We've talked about that with um, brain-based conditions in an earlier podcast as well. And I think it's really important to understand more about what this looks like, not only because it's very prevalent in society, at least one in five people experience some kind of neurodiversity, I think it's also more highly represented in the organizing and productivity profession from my small sample size of research. I'd love to hear your comments, reach out in social media or in the feedback in the podcast sites to let us know what you think. But today we're going to explore it from the aspect of serving our clients who also may be gifted. In fact, a large part of my client base, I find out, not necessarily on the intake question, but I find out through working with them that there is a neurodiversity present. There is perhaps a cognitive challenge, which we know gets involved with executive function and decision-making and organizing and setting themselves up for success. So I think it's really going to help us all serve our clients better if we understand them better. And I'm really excited today to have NAPO member Kathleen Crombie with us to really shed some light and explore this topic together. Now, why Kathleen? Kathleen, after earning a Master of Arts and Master of Education in Counseling Psychology at Columbia University in New York City, that's my cattail there. Could you catch that? If you're watching YouTube, you did. She worked for 15 years as an inpatient psychiatric treatment coordinator slash social worker in a community hospital in Berkeley, California. In 2009, Kathleen started a private practice to include cognitive behavioral consulting and coaching for gifted advocacy, ADHD, OCD, and chronic disorganizations with children and adults. So you can tell from the educational, not only the educational background, but the actual clinical work with people, Kathleen is extremely experienced. Today, she's pursuing a certificate in grief education. She volunteers with Evermore, an association which is advocating for an increase in bereavement leave in public policy. And in her free time, she likes to create intuitive abstract art, garden, practice yoga, and drink whipped coffee. There you go. Welcome, Kathleen. I am so honored and thrilled to have you here today. As I mentioned, I'm a highly sensitive person, so neurodiversity is definitely part of my life. It's in my family as well. And so I'm really interested to learn from you. And I wanted to perhaps start and kick off our conversation together with helping our listeners understand 
what is this gifted client? What is a highly sensitive person? What do we need to watch out for when we're thinking of working with somebody neuroatypical or neurodivergent? Yeah, it's a little complicated and simple at the same time. And I will be using highly sensitive and gifted interchangeably, but they're not the same thing. And I just want to go over that some of the characteristics are very similar, but I want to be able to kind of talk about the differences and the similarities so that people can use the language that currently exists. It is constantly evolving. So it's important to just know if you think you know it, it's probably changing right now. Oh, yeah. I was watching a YouTube video by Temple Grandin last night, and she's well known. She's a famous an amazing thinker and learned content creator and she's autistic and she was outlining the change in terminology over the years to do with autism and then Asperger's and then ASD. So you're right. And this is all in the realm of what we're talking about too. Yeah. And so just to give kind of a brief summary for those who are new to highly sensitive issues, or HSP, it is not a diagnosis and it's not a condition. It's not a disorder. And it's really important to keep that in mind so that we're looking at it as it's more of a characteristic and something that someone may have, may be aware of, may not be aware of, but what does it look like? And in general, you'll see someone who has a depth of processing. They can really go deep into something in ways that they may not even be aware of their doing. But if you're going to be working with them, you'll recognize it and you'll have to make a decision. Is this going too far or should I let this go a little bit more? Yeah, it can look when it's over exhibited a little bit like analysis paralysis, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I also call it going down the rabbit hole where they're going down very deep and it's fascinating, but it's not to what we're working together. So we have to be aware of that. Another piece of it is overstimulation. This is really common for people who will be feeling just sensitive, things itch, the lights, they can see them blinking, even if no one else can. They're very sensitive to smells. They may also have internal stimulation from thinking or physical sensations. So it can be this idea of overstimulation. And what we think is overstimulation may not be the same as them. So we'll talk more about that going Well, one forward. quick example, just to piggyback on that. So I'm the highly sensitive person in the model working with clients. I went to work with someone and they wanted the TV in the background on all the time. I couldn't think. So my sensitivity as a service provider there, I had to ask them, would you mind if we don't have the TV on? So it, it kind of goes maybe both ways and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great example. Great example. Another sort of characteristic is emotional responsiveness and empath. So what basically means that these clients or people who have HSP may just really respond deeply to things and they may also really feel like they are walking that person's shoes, which can be a plus and a minus. And so we have to think about and just be aware what we're seeing, because these are just common characteristics. And the last one I want to mention is sensitivity to subtleties. So it can be common when you are working with someone 
in this way that you will notice that they will say, are you okay? And you're like, "Uh, yeah, I'm fine. And then they're like, well, you don't look okay. And you're like, oh my gosh, what happened? Well, maybe you didn't have lunch and maybe they're sensing that you're a little bit off from another time you spoke to them. So they have an acute ability to look at subtleties that others may not see, including yourself. So it's important to just know that that can be also a characteristic. Yeah. It makes me think of one, one time I went to actually work with a client and I took an assistant with me and this was a trial session. And I picked up on the assistant's anxiety in the situation. She was curling her fingers and I'm like, we were working with the trauma therapist. I'm like that trauma therapist is going to know <laughs> what what's going on for you. This is not a good fit because we have to be there to make the client comfortable. So another example, I'm sorry, my examples I think are from me being the more sensitive one in the crowd, but but sort of observing that. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's, we're talking about if it's the provider ourselves, as well as our clients. And so we'll talk more detail about when those two meet together and some of the successes and some of the challenges with that. And I also want to talk about that highly sensitive folks, they tend to be close to around 20% of the population. So that's roughly, research is very new in this area. And so it's, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Research has lots of holes in it. But then I want to shift over to gifted. So gifted has been around for a lot longer. And the word gifted is very loaded. And we have to be aware of what our reactions are. And again, people who do research and work in this area are working on finding a different term, but it's very difficult too. So basically, we're not looking at IQ. That's an old model. We are looking at emotional intensity, that they have also the ability of metacognition, which means they can think about thinking. And it can be fascinating to meet a five-year-old gifted person who can actually reflect and think about the way they're thinking and compare it to how someone else, a teacher or a sibling thinks. And you're like, I didn't think of that until I was in college, but it's fascinating. So emotional intensity, metacognition, heightened sensitivity. So now you're going to see some overlap. That's what I was going to say. Where did they come together? Because when I'm talking to people about high sensitivities and people will say, well, I'm very emotional about things. Is that, is that this? And this emotional intensity you're talking about squarely lies here, but I think it shows up sometimes in highly sensitive people too. Absolutely. And again, it depends on the degree and the setting. So many folks will grow up in a very gifted family. And it's not till they start school that they meet people who don't understand that, for example, you don't interrupt, that you have to wait your turn when in their family of origin, that's just part of what they do to try to get airspace because everyone has so many thoughts that they just want to get them out. So it can really depend on the, the setting as well. So heightened sensitivity is part of gifted as well. And enthusiasm, excitability, and expressiveness. Now, this is a little bit more into, and these kind of factors can help us get a sense if someone is on the gifted range. 
And again, gifted is not about IQ specifically. There are lots of problems with IQ tests, but we're looking for general characteristics. And the number of people who are in this category is closer to like 5% or less. And it does run in families, but there are lots of reasons why someone who might be this way cannot manifest it because of trauma, of other experiences, or lack of supports and resources. So I tend to think about it as it is the curse of being gifted. It's actually not a gift, but how can we turn it around to use what we know about ourselves and our clients perhaps, and use that to the best of our knowledge? Let me bring you back to why you say it's the curse of being gifted, because you talked about emotional intensity, metacognition, heightened sensitivity, excitability, enthusiasm, expressiveness. I didn't see a lot of downsides in that unless they're overexpressed. Right. And so that's the important piece of it is, is it being expressed in the right setting? So teachers don't tend to like these kind of kids, do they? Bosses don't tend to like these kind of employees. And so, again, it depends on the setting of it and the timing and the degree of enthusiasm, excitability, and expressiveness. I have a very dear friend of mine. She's an amazing woman. Every time we get together, we become like junior high girls giggling and being silly. But with her, it's natural. It's accepted. In other settings, we kind of look odd, kind of quirky. So we have to know when we can let that part out and know when it's kind of not the right place and time for it. So just so I understand, so listeners understand, are you highly sensitive and or gifted or do you, how does this relate to you? So it's a great question. So it is easier. I went to school, elementary school in the seventies, and it has always been easier to identify gifted boys because it's, they tend to be stronger in mathematics and other kind of science kind of things. All three of my brothers were identified. I was not. And as it turns out, I was and didn't know until I had my son when he was in first grade and pulling his hair out because he couldn't read instantly and found out, yes, indeed, he is gifted as well as I look back and I looked at my old records that thank goodness I'm a saver. And I found that they said, you know, gets off tracks, gets excitable, likes what she likes, but things that she doesn't like, she just ignores. And that's really some hallmarks of a gifted child. And so I did a little research and a little, um, and I was like, oh my goodness, huh? I had no idea. Well, you're raising a really important point for listeners out there too. Even with ADHD, with all of these things, a lot of the research was done on males and ADHD in particular presented with hyperactivity. So it was easier to spot. And so like what you're saying there with giftedness, I wasn't identified as gifted when I was a kid, but I'm pretty sure it was there. Right. And in some of the way you've described it now, I'm like, oh, <laughs> so it's really interesting and lightning. And I think especially for the women who are listening to be really self-reflective and dig into this, because one of the most powerful things 
I think is self-awareness and to learn who you are and why you might be struggling about something and then where the strength superpowers are that lie in what you're talented with, right? Absolutely. And a lot of girls try to fit in and be part of the community. And that means not being an outlier. So that also is a piece of what might make less girls be identified. So the other kind of general characteristics about folks that are gifted is that they also can make keen observations. They enjoy problem solving. They like creative solutions. They don't want the easy solution. They also can make connections between unrelated ideas, which can be amazingly beneficial. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's this metacognition, this ability. It's, if you're thinking synergistically, one of my jobs, I remember second job in the corporate world was, okay, we need somebody to look across the sales organization and across the product suite and look for opportunities. Like oh, that kind of complexity lit me up, right? Yep. You saw it. And it's not something you can make yourself always do. You might with a little bit more effort, but it comes pretty quickly and naturally. But it can also be overwhelming for someone if you see a lot of those connections and then someone will say, well, what do you mean by that? And they're not even sure how to show their work. And so for 30 years, I've been lobbying for reduced work weeks, flexible work weeks, all of this kind of stuff, because I saw people struggling, including myself with small children in the corporate world and so on. And was sort of saying, I can see a solution to this problem and it's in autonomy and it's in flexibility. We're finally having this conversation. So you're right. There's a struggle. I don't know. My cat is really entertaining us today. For anyone who's watching the video, you can see a lot of fur flashing. I think it's really fascinating. It can make you think how come other people don't see it, right? That's the frustrating part. It's like, how am I 25 years ahead of a conversation? Absolutely. And that can make it also difficult for people who are gifted that they're extremely self-critical of themselves, not only of themselves, but sometimes of others, because things may come quickly to themselves. They wonder, why are you not getting it? It reminds me of my kids in elementary school and they would come home and say, I understood it the first time the teacher told us, but she kept repeating and repeating and repeating. And I had to say, well, Others may not catch it quite as fast as you. And, you know, my little first grader is like, well, I'll show them how to get it. And it was just very sweet. He had empathy for them, but it was also made him very boring for him to have to hear the same lesson over in many different ways. Yeah. Temple and the talk I was listening to last night, which was from 2013. She's like, if the child in grade three is doing college level math, let them do college level math, but give them the socialization that they need from that, you know, eight-year-old experience, but let the learning brain have an adventure. Anyway, clearly I could talk to you all day. I want to come back to where you yeah, want to go and just next. Quickly, I want to add in that quirkiness and also a longing for deep meaning. And they also have a very deep concern for social justice or justice in general. You're making me think about my daughter here because I've noticed that is particular. I'm like, she really needs to advocate for betterness in the world because her sense of, and my sister too, it's very interesting. Okay. Well, they sound like a whole lot of superpowers to me in the right setting, like you said. And it's, what's interesting is 
you know, when you're young, it's a challenge to figure out that nuance and setting. And like, doesn't everybody think like this is sort of the default you're going to think. But as we age, we find our settings. If we're skilled, we find our settings, I think, where we can really thrive. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that parents can do is to try to find peers for their children. And they may not be age congruent because also it's pretty common for gifted kids and adults. You don't grow out of being gifted when you turn 18 that you may also have uneven development. You may be extremely accelerated in some areas of your life but then you might actually be at normal or peer level or even below because you've spent so much time on the area of your interest. And so it's kind of people will say, well, if he's gifted, why is he not good at everything? And the reason is because very, very, very few people are gifted and good at everything. Well, that's it. There's a strength in a certain area, which means there may be a deficit in another area. And so if you see that in your kids' marks, for example, it's worth tuning into and looking for where the challenges and the superpowers are. Okay, continue. This is so fascinating. (laughs) And the other piece to remember is that you always want to work with people's strengths, not just their deficits. And so we tend to, especially for children or some of our clients, we may come in and say, well, I got to fix this deficit. Well, no, you need to first find out what their strengths are. What are they doing right? And build on those to match and make improvements. We're not there to fix it. We're here to improve it for our client. That's right. Right, right. You don't perceive your client as broken. That's the message there, right? I've heard the word exceptional being used. Is that one of the potential places gifted is going? Yeah. So one of the things that there's a couple things, what's called twice exceptional. And what that means is that a person is identified as gifted and they have something else. So it could be hearing difficulties. It could be sensory processing issues. It could be diabetes. It could be ADHD. It could be bipolar or depression. So it just means that you have two exceptionalities and then it's a little bit more challenging. Some kids or some adults have three and even more. Well, that's a similar conversation happening in DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion with intersectionality of potential minority positions out in the world. And so you can be a brown woman with an invisible illness, with a neurodiversity, for example. So there's layers of challenge. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's something that is really important to tease out. And again, it doesn't matter what the label is. It's just a way for you to get some ideas of kind of where you might be able to make some choices to help the client or yourself. Love that you said that because I think I've been attending quite a few learning opportunities around inclusion. And the real opportunity is not, you know, having a quota for this kind of person or that kind of person. It's about thinking about how do I reduce barriers? And so the label is a clue, like you're saying, to the barriers. And so that's the thing to focus on is where are the challenges? And then, okay, where can we be creative in finding opportunities to address those and get over those? 
Absolutely. There's a lot of overlap. It's a Venn diagram that's just got all kinds of overlaps, but it's a way to kind of pull it apart and then be able to find language to talk about these things in a non-judgmental way. Boom. Mic drop on that. Yeah. Because that's the thing when working with clients, we want to keep that safe space. There's already, I've found in my practice, a high degree of shame around not feeling organized or not feeling productive. And then for them to have the emotional labor of feeling like there's shame around, oh, well, I also have ADHD, or I also have, I've also been labeled gifted, whatever. There's a lot of, there has to be no judgment. Using labels as a tool to figure out barriers and then stay in that place of non-judgment to support the client. Absolutely. And so one of the things that I do a lot of support groups and cognitive behavioral workshops to help people with hoarding and chronic disorganization. And I learned over the years, I have a couple, I have an intake questionnaire I send them. And at the very bottom, it asks, were you identified as a child as being gifted? And nine out of 10 of my clients say, why on earth would that be an issue? But yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. How did you know? Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have a similar on my coaching intake form. Is there is anything else I should know? Brackets, ADHD, da, 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 a, a list of things. Because it's like these things, no one wants to start with that. I mean, on my LinkedIn profile now, it says Claire Kumar, you know, my coaching designations and then HSP, because I'm finally realizing the power of disclosure and talking about it. And I think with the DEI conversation that's going on and hopefully inclusivity around challenge, I am hoping that we're in a climate of support and acceptance to help people make their best contributions so that disclosure doesn't carry the shame that it has for many years. Absolutely. And in my training in New York, it was much more that the therapist is more, you know, doesn't disclose stuff. Also in San Francisco, that was kind of the training as well. And it just didn't sit right with me. And so I actually do disclose some of the things that I've struggled with. And whenever I do any of my workshops or groups, I do the exercises. I talk about the project that I'm doing as well. It may not be in the same magnitude, but I do the same things. I love it. I mean, I've been giving leadership workshops for the past year on how to show up now in this climate. And it's all about awareness, vulnerability. So knowing yourself, telling your own story about where, you know, your own reality, compassion and empathy, right? Those four things are key. And we can't, you know, we're a leader when we're serving our clients. It's like servant leadership there. We've got to guide them in a process and to build that trust and understanding of each other, I think goes a long way to have the ability to share some of that. So I know you wanted to talk about some, you know, first steps in working with gifted clients. What would you say those would be? Yeah. So one of the things is to look for people's strengths. So you want to use people's strengths and build from that. And you also are more collaborative with someone because it is not you being the expert. It is you being there on the journey with them. And many of them need to talk out loud 
and hear themselves, what their thoughts were. So I always ask my clients when they're brand new, I ask them, well, what has worked in the past and what do you want to get done here? And how do you want to do this with me? Because I'm coming at using their strengths. It is not my role to come in there and tell them you need this, this, and that. I get a lot of clients that have tried working with professional organizers and they're like, she just didn't get me. She just did everything the way she thought it would be. And that's not how I think, or that's not, I just felt shameful. And it's not to put anyone down. It's just, it's not always easy to get a sense if this client may need a different approach to be able to work on their strengths, to also be able to pivot. We tend to, as professional organizers, think about trying to have a good outcome of a good picture of making improvement and do it fast. And that may not be exactly the way to go about it with someone who is highly sensitive or gifted, because sometimes you just have to be with them in the muck of the mess. And then they kind of have an aha moment and then boom, boom, they're off to the races. It's bringing all my coach training to mind, right? So it's really taking a coach approach where you're working there to hold that client capable and, you know, they have everything they need and you're there as the sounding board to kind of invite it out of them. And then, yes, you can provide knowledge, but there's a way to also provide knowledge that offers it as a suggestion for your client to consider. So we're not becoming professional dictators in that space. We are, we are there as a support and that's holding the client at the forefront of saying where you're going. And I've always given this analogy. I'm, I'm like, you're in charge of where we're going. So we've got to get clear on what your vision is. And my job is to help you articulate that. But I'm the hand at your back and you're telling me where you want to go, but we're going there together. And that generally has people exhaling on the phone when, when you know, they're thinking about working with someone. It's like, oh, it's not going to be like TV. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I always tell folks too, I said, I've done a few of those shows and you don't know what goes on behind the scenes. I'll tell you, it's the stuff that we're going to be doing. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And they're like, oh, that's not very fun. I'm like, do you want to get it done? The other piece that's really critical is emotional regulation is a big piece of what these folks are struggling with. And what that is, it's a fancy way of saying how to tolerate your feelings. And one of the things that we can do as professional organizers and therapists and coach is to help our clients just accept their feelings without judgment. We also can help remind them that you can cope as well as others do. You may not be the best at evaluating that. Well, and there's an opportunity then to remind them of, you know, situations when they did, they were successful and to draw on those strengths and bring that. Yeah. The more that we can cheerlead the self-efficacy piece of it, then they're going to also feel good going through the process and achieve the results. So there's, there's a lot of support, not just that this is the right bin for that shelf, (laughs) It's the, how does your brain think? Oh, okay. Well, what if we looked at this option? How does that feel? How does that, how do you feel about that? 
Absolutely. And Elsa, the other piece that we really have to continue to do is help people understand that their feelings that are difficult to feel are not going to last forever. But a lot of times our clients will do things to avoid. It's like touching a hot stove if they get angry or if they get sad or whatever. And we have to kind of help them say, it sounds like it's a kind of a hot stove feeling and everyone can kind of relate to that. And if we try to help them understand, it's not going to last forever. We fear that it will last forever. Yeah. There's bravery involved and also sort of a reminding of that efficacy and capability that each individual has. I was looking at an app yesterday that's come out of the UK and I think it's coming to Canada through some people I know. It's called Brain in Hand and it was developed by, I'm not sure who, but the National Autism Society is involved and it basically is an app that when you get into a tricky situation, you can look at the app and it's the brain in your hand to help you go, oh, I'm struggling with this. These are my options. So as support people here, we can give clients some go-to options or work with them to come up with go-to options so that when they name that feeling and they're self-aware there, they can catch it and say, oh, I can check this. I can think about this. So you can recreate this app even in your own, you know, your own. The nice thing about the app is they also offer you press a button and you get live connected to someone. If you're in a red danger zone, kind of panic attack kind of feeling, then they connect you with someone live. So, so there are support tools coming like that, I think, which are great. But what we can do is help people figure this out in the moment. And they have those tools within themselves. And so one of the things that I was fortunate to live in the San Francisco Bay Area for 20 years and learned a lot about breath and awareness and meditation. And during COVID, I was like, I'm going to do this yoga thing every single day. And so you can actually share with clients that taking five seconds to just breathe in and out can also calm your nervous system down. Absolutely. Some basic grounding techniques. And the breath is the breath is the easiest, most portable one <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So to also helps you get that monkey mind from going off the edge. I love that. So so those are practical things we can do. Do we need to pay attention to who we are and how we're showing up? I'd love to yes. explore yes. that. And I call it know thyself. And that basically means you know, spend a little bit of time, make a list of characteristics you might relate to, or ask someone that you trust who's known you for a while. And the other thing is just notice, simply noticing what you're experiencing in different situations can also help you be aware of, I never knew that I got overstimulated with a lot of color or sound or sensations. Exactly. Actually, because I'm planning some talks around this and my opening is going to be, so think of a music genre that you don't like. Everybody's got one that they're less, it's less palatable to them, right? And I'll say, imagine that is on a boombox right beside your head and it's turned up to a past 11, right? It's like, imagine what that would feel like. That's what someone else might be experiencing, what you think is totally fine. Absolutely. 
So that can be something to discuss and to reflect upon, because if you're not sure what you're experiencing, it can be hard to identify what others might be experiencing, but we can always ask, what is the experience for you when you see, for example, this clutter? Exactly. I liken it to loud country music, which is my non-music, for, <laughs> my least favorite form of music, right? So I'm like, that's to me, that's what that makes me feel like. Or you could use a food analogy. So I think, yeah, and this is to try and raise a little bit of empathy for your client in understanding their experience. Absolutely. And you do not have to have had those experiences to help these folks. Always ask them, always ask, what is it like right now to be you? What are you experiencing? What is it that is happening right now? Give them space for that and say, would you like to move on to something else or do you need a little bit more time? I love it. Can I lay down the the model that I was coming up with yesterday around this whole leadership mindset and who you need to be and you need to ask, what do you need to succeed is the, the big takeaway question, but ask as a set of three things that you would be helpful to carry with you into this conversation. One is to anticipate what the other person might feel in a situation where the barriers might be. If we can be anticipatory, there's a great organization in England about diversity and ability and being anticipatory is huge. Then suggesting you know, coming from a place of suggesting, would this work? Could this work? And having some options. And then exactly what you said, A-S-K. K is know yourself and do your best to know the client or your employee or whoever, know each other. So anticipate, suggest, and know. I think I just made this up, so I'm hoping, like, give me some feedback <laughs> on this one. But I think it's an easy way to remember those three things, which seem to me to be a real powerful combo to stay in that place of service and making sure we're inviting the best contributions from everybody. Absolutely. And I would add one last one, and I call it grace or being gentle with yourself, because you cannot always predict, you cannot always do the things that you know that you are better for you to do and to give yourself grace and kindness that, you know, most of the time I do, or I can't predict everything. And sometimes I just don't want to do that. And that's okay. And that's where it can be helpful to, as a professional organizer or coach to say, that sounds like something that you might want to explore later, more of the history and things like that with a therapist. But I'm wondering what do we want to do today? Because we only have today. We don't have tomorrow. We have today. So what can we do today to get a little bit started to make a change today? And it brings them back to the here and now, which gets them out of their anxious mind and also their fear of predicting something bad's going to happen. So starting with just today, even if it's small. I love that. There's a big integration of mindfulness in this moment. But here's a thought for you and tell me how this lands. There are some times where I don't want to be more present or in the moment. So for example, when I've had an MRI, I go to fantasization instead of here I am and this is the sound. I go to like really escaping it. And when I was working with clients, I don't necessarily want to have that vision discussion in the room with the clutter because that conversation around them is so loud, they can't tune it out. So I often say, let's have this conversation 
somewhere where you can exhale, enjoy your exhale, and we can think about this without that loud conversation raging. So if you're sensing a client is being emotionally triggered, maybe changing that setting that you were talking about in the beginning is a powerful tool. Absolutely. Many people will say, well, don't you want to see pictures of the cluttered home or the hoard? And I said, no, I just want to talk to the person. And so I do a lot of assessments out on the front steps or in the back garden. For just that reason, you have to meet and be with them because it's not about the stuff. It's about them and how they process information and you know their history and such. So And then one of the things that I do is I try to match up professional organizers that might be a good fit for the way the client operates and experiences life. Yes. And what's interesting thing about the highly sensitive person with having more mirror neurons than the average person, if you happen to be an organizer, a productivity coach who has this, you have a gift because you're better able to match the client. So if you got a type A person and we need to figure out the top 10 things to do in the next hour, you can be that person. And if you need to be the laid person, you can be a bit more of a chameleon because you can tune into what the client needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the, I just want to talk a little bit about the joys and challenges. And so one of the reason why I love working with this population is that they are incredibly kind. They are so caring and they also really care about not only getting the work better, get, making the project better, but they care about you as a person. So it's a very interesting, um, I love it. I Even if I don't work with clients for a while, I still keep in touch with them. And I have some clients in California and I just do once a month, you know, check in with them, no charge because it's just been, we've had such a bond. I love that. So I recently created a group, the Happy Space Pod for neurodiverse people who are wanting productivity and well-being, right? And what I'm finding is the people that I'm attracting into this group And, you know, you can say a lot of times on Facebook, there's a lot of stuff you don't want to be hearing. This group, man, it is golden. There's such positive energy, kindness, full of empathy. If you want to go and be in a place where you're feeling looked after and somebody's like, oh, I get that. Are you okay now? This is the place. It's amazing. Absolutely. And so you also tend to keep these clients forever because even if they don't have a project or they've run out of money or whatever, they come back because they remember the relationship that you had, that you connected with them. And so I don't have to spend money trying to get new clients. They keep coming back, which is delightful, makes it much easier. Some of the challenges are that they overthink solutions. So they will make the absolute most complicated solution because they can think of it. So we have to watch for that and say, I really admire the way you came up with this. However, I'm wondering if there's a more simple way or something we could do just today that's good enough for right now. So that can be a challenge as well. They also have extremely high expectations of themselves. I always tell them, Martha Stewart is not coming into your home to evaluate what you've done. We are evaluating what works for you. 
in this moment. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got to take the pressure off. Yeah. There's a lot of perfectionism. There's a lot of high standards because there's a lot of awareness and about possibility too. So it could be this good, you know? Yeah. Especially if you're dealing with those creative gifted folks and I'm on that side of things and we see the potential of things that others do not see. And they hold on to those things because we have a million ideas of what we could do. So even though I haven't gotten around to it to tell me to get rid of it, it's like telling me to get rid of part of myself and my ideas. And so you have to be very gentle with those clients. And it's not about getting rid of, it's about managing what you have so you can live the life you want. That's right. Cultivating the feeling you want, as well as you know what you want to do and how you want to feel going through your space and your calendar, both, right? Exactly. The other challenge is some of these clients, they will do things in a roller coaster fashion, meaning they're not going to just want to do it every week for you know three hours or whatever it is. Sometimes they will get energy bursts when they're highly motivated. And then they die off and they're not interested because something else shiny has gotten their attention. I have no idea what you're talking about. And <laughs> that is okay. But it's not going to be like, okay, we're going to work and we're going to do this project every week for six weeks. Maybe not if that's what you're thinking you want to do. So you've got to be able to dance on the roller coaster. Absolutely. And not tear your hair out and say, oh, I listened to that podcast and they said that can be normal for this population. And so you don't waste your energy getting frustrated. Just go with it and go with their energy. It may be difficult for your schedule and you trying to predict your income, but that's your problem. But there's so many things that are nice. And then there's an opportunity to say, do I like this kind of client? Do I like this expressiveness, excitability to this person? Do I like it? And, you know, there are people working with elderly population. They love it. Let's go for it. There are people working with kids. This may be another population that you say, you know, I, I value it, but I don't know if I, that's where I want. I don't want to ride the roller coaster. So maybe, maybe it's not for me. And so to self-select on the basis of that, this is, been such a rich, fascinating conversation. I've learned more than I anticipated tons from you. So I want to thank you, Kathleen. Is there any final word you wanted to give to the, the people who are thinking about this population or something about what they might notice in themselves if they're noticing, I'm like, oh my gosh, I could be, I, this could be me. It's never too late to learn about yourself and learn in general. And so I really like that we're talking about this and people can take some time and say, huh, that's interesting. And if you say, I'm curious, there are resources out there. Oh yeah. Stay curious above all. That's amazing message. Well, thank you so much, Kathleen, for joining me in this conversation, which was of course very near and dear to my heart. Thanks to all you listeners out there who are joining this episode of Standout. I encourage you, if you like what you heard, check out the other episodes we have. We've had three years now of rich conversations with all kinds of experts from within our organization and also many from without. So please follow your interests and have a look. You can find everything at napopodcast.com. And do me a favor, leave a review if you don't mind. As a podcaster, I've been, I think this is my 18th episode now. And I've just learned it's one of those things you, you do it. There's great energy in the moment. And then it's just kind of, whoo, 
So it would be wonderful to, for us as an organization to get some feedback. Are these podcasts serving you? Are there topics you want to hear about? Is there an author you're dying to hear me interview for a, a book that you've read? Let us know what would serve you. We're doing this for you and your business growth and development. So we want to hear from you. Until next time, do be safe, be kind to yourself, and above all, enjoy your journey. That's all for today's episode of Stand Out, brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Be sure to visit napo.net to join, learn more about our educational offerings, local chapters, and more.